0: I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. So last week, we began looking at the Ten Commandments, and we dealt with the first four. And I jokingly said before we began the service, this will probably be my most unpopular series. or or set of sermons that I'll ever preach, because we do not like to be told what to do. We do not like to be told how to live. We might pay lip service to something higher than ourselves, but we don't like to submit to something higher than ourselves. And so the Ten Commandments really... they can be really annoying. <laughs> they can kind of really great against us. Because there's something in us that doesn't want that, that that believes that we're not answerable to anyone for anything that we've done, most especially God. We dealt with some common misconceptions about the relationship between the Jews and the law, specifically that they were not trying to earn salvation uh, by By their own righteousness. Rather, the law was given to them to help manage and deal with their sin. And we saw that with the advent of Christ and the scope of his saving work, he did what the law could not. The law could not give someone the ability to keep it. But Christ, through his incarnation, death and resurrection, gives us a new heart. With the law written on our hearts, enabling us to keep it. As summarized in Christ's own summary in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your hearts, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We took a look at the first four commandments as focusing on the interior or we could even say our vertical life with God, and out of our relationship with God, our life with God, flows our desire to keep the final six. So many times when we struggle in our lives, we focus on external behavior first. We try to fix the exterior first, and then oftentimes we completely neglect the interior. But that's like, imagine like turning on HGTV and pick one of the 40 million Property brother shows that are on right now, or... Rehab addict, whatever. Imagine if all they did was go to a house, a fixer-upper, and what if Joanna and Chip were like, you know, the inside of this house is terrible. But we're just going to ignore it and make the outside look really pretty with the fake shutters. and We'll put the shiplap all on the outside. Right? That would be ridiculous. There's no point in making the outside try to look good without first going on the inside and cleaning it up and fixing the plumbing and the electrical. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 26, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Now, with the healing Christ brings us, we are finally able to clean inside, and then our exterior life with others, following these commandments, becomes possible. And these commandments govern our whole lives. Nothing remains untouched. How we live is important as how we live displays what's happened within us. Our relationship, our love for God, then shows itself out in how we treat others. And I think there's something to be said for the commandments being an antidote to chaos. We see in the scriptures God taming chaos, right, all throughout the scriptures. There's this language in Job and other places of God taming the Leviathan, which was like an old-timey chaos deity. Yahweh is taking that chaos and creating order. God is rightly ordering everything towards its proper end. And the Ten Commandments are an antidote to chaos, I believe. And they can serve to temper the chaotic swirling of human desire and behavior. So the first commandment we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the last, the last few. Uh, so number five, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So when we, we look at this commandment, we have to realize that, that in the ancient world, family was really important. I mean, it's still really important today, right? But everything revolved around family. You lived together. You traveled together. Especially during the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. Your families, the families, as they grow, they would stay together. They would stay together. And we see this particularly also like in the Abraham story. He gets so blessed and one of his relatives gets so blessed that they eventually have to separate. But when they separate, something really bad happens. When they separate the people who left Abraham's family, that's Lot, right? We know the story. Everything starts to go really bad for him. So the family together was like, so in the ancient world like this, for the people of Israel, when you got married, like it's kind of like today, but you're not in the basement playing video games, being, you know, 30 years old, still living with your parents. It's you had your own place attached to where everybody else lives and you all live together as a family, as a family unit. honor your father or mother. That for them would also include taking care of their father and mother as their fathers and mothers continue to age. So it's a lot deeper than just, hey, kids, listen to your parents. And on, on one level, this is true. And all the little kids that are here say, oh, man, I gotta do that. Right. Generally speaking, listening to our parents is a good thing unless you have a really or have had bad ones. But. Notice something here is attached to this commandment, having long days in the land, having long days in the land. So this commandment contextually right for them is concerned with honoring your parents, not just saying nice things about them, but treating them the way they're supposed to be treated, creating stability in the family. The more you do that, the better things are going to go for you where God is bringing you. And this, brothers and sisters, plays out how we relate to our own families in our own day and time to the degree that we're able to, to play this out and how our vocations develop and our own relationships with our families, uh, our own relationships outside family. Right. Like I'm not trying to sound like an alarmist here, but like I, I, I feel like families are, are being continually are more and more kind of marginalized, pushed to the side. You see a lot more of single people not getting married and not having children. And it's a trend that's not only in our own own country, but in other countries as well. No one's having families anymore. Birth rates are going down. Families sort of neglected and pushed aside, but we're supposed to honor our families. Our families are supposed to be models of what life in Christ is. They ultimately have to take care of one another. And how much more true is this for us as the Christian family? Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united in, in ties stronger than blood relations. Let's go to the next one. You shall not murder. So some biblical translations have this as you shall not kill. But that's not what this is referring to. This is a reference to... To murder, And we know that murder is the intentional killing of an innocent human being, either premeditated or by accident, right? This is what this is talking about. This isn't talking about you shall not kill in general. So people have taken this command. Well, the Bible says you shall not kill. So that, that, that buck that you see in your sights with your 30-30, you can't shoot it and take it home and kill it and eat it because the Bible says thou shalt not kill. It's not what that's referring to. This is referring to the intentional killing of a, of a human being. So we ask ourselves, why then is this wrong? And what if the person really had it coming? But only God can judge this. Only God is all-wise and all-knowing. And therefore the only one who can see the end from the beginning. And since all life comes from God, God is the only one who can direct and who can judge it. And we also saw in Genesis that human beings are created in the image of God. So to murder another human being is a wound, not only against their soul, but against our soul as well. Like Cain killing Abel, we are marked by that act. And this is important for us to note because White Notes murder interrupts the divine plan for each human person. By which that person is called into communion with God. Or, this might be a little bit easier to understand, as Clint Eastwood said in Unforgiven, it's a hell of a thing killing a man. You take away all he's got and all he's ever going to have. And this is why the church stands against things like this. This is why the church has always stood against things like abortion, because it disfigures the soul. And this is now me speaking personally. I believe that this is why we shouldn't be so gung-ho. And some Christian circles are very gung-ho about the death penalty. This isn't something that we should be jumping up and down and cheering about. Because if somebody has been made in the image and likeness of God, then maybe it might be wrong for the state to take their life. Because the state is an imperfect arbiter, often making mistakes. I'm not saying we shouldn't have the death penalty. I'm saying we should think long and hard about it. It's a thorny issue to work our way through. And if this commandment, then thou shalt not murder, isn't a general injunction, injunction against killing. What does that have to say about war? What does that have to say about somebody breaking into your home and defending yourself? All right. Everyone says, amen. Okay, good. Let's move on to the next one. Like I said, my most unpopular sermon series, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. All right, so contextually, right, this was speaking towards uh, people who are married, but also to people who were engaged. Because in the ancient world, if you were engaged, you were basically married, right? You were considered married, which is why it's a really big deal, right, in the Gospels when Mary's like, hey, I'm pregnant, but I'm, I'm betrothed to Joseph, Even though their marriage hadn't been made official yet, it was still considered a marriage because they were betrothed. And here's where we all tend to squirm a little bit, right? Because this commandment is dealing with issues regarding how we live our lives as sexual beings. And some people see this only as marital faithfulness. But some commentators also take the point of view that to do that artificially removes the interpretation of this commandment from the larger Judaic cultural and intellectual context. Now, many years ago, C.S. Lewis observed that people were saying that sex was something that wasn't spoken about enough. He disagreed and has said that's all anyone is talking about. I can't imagine what he would say today. I've told this story a long, many times, but I'll never forget, I was watching a commercial for Haagen-Dazs. Haagen-Dazs makes pretty good ice cream but the way that they were presenting the ice cream in the commercial was by almost sexualizing it. I'm like, this is very weird. This is very odd. I can't imagine what he would think of today. And in the United States we're the heirs of the sexual revolution of the sixties and seventies that took a, a giant needle of chaos and injected it into our society. But we're not alone, right? The Greco Roman culture of the ancient world was just as chaotic. Equally as chaotic, which is why the Jewish and Christian attitudes towards all things sexual was so shocking because it upended everything you believed. Right. So imagine you're a man back then. And then all of a sudden, some guy says to you, marry one woman and then stick with her the rest of your life and be faithful only to her. That's insanity. Because that was part of their culture. It was cool. It was fine. It was shocking. Just as back then, almost everything that our culture holds dear about sex is wrong. I grew up in a form of Christianity that was heavy on what's been called purity culture. Has anybody ever heard of purity culture? If you haven't, good, good. Don't Google it. It'll lead you down a rabbit hole. But purity culture was based largely on fear and it messed up a lot of people in this regard and it pushed many people into doing the things it was trying to keep them from but just because purity culture was garbage it doesn't mean that for christians our sexual lives are free for all and that that's what this commandment reminds us the next one is you shall not steal So here we have what seems to be a pretty clear command to not take something that doesn't belong to you. And interestingly, it kind of presumes that private property is a thing. Take that, Marxists. However, (laughs) all my hardcore Republicans in the audience could have said amen right there. You missed it. Sorry. Take that. However, this command, how this plays out also has a wide range of implications. Right, so it's a sin for me to break into somebody's house and steal their TV. But is it stealing to charge more for goods and services than what they're worth? Is it stealing to charge insanely high interest rates, causing prices of what people need to survive, like cars and homes, to skyrocket? Is it stealing to keep people locked into cycles of debt they can never repay? Is it stealing when we have the means to help provide for others but keep it to ourselves? Yeah, I think we could say that's theft too. Because in the scriptures we see when people are blessed with something, when they're blessed with finances or material goods, the expectation even baked into the law 6,000 years ago, however long it was, is that what God has given you is to be shared with those who are in need. And to do so is theft. One of my favorite church fathers. Um, Oh, actually, I might be getting them mixed up. But there's two of them, St. Basil and St. John Chrysostom. They were very, very very big into justice before it was cool, right? St. John Chrysostom preached a series of sermons which has been collected in a book called On Social Justice. And when he says that, he's not talking about social justice as in right now, right? But he says, if you have an extra coat that doesn't belong to you, If you have extra food that doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the person who needs it. It belongs to the poor. Right. So with this command, you shall not steal is also the expectation of Christian charity. The next one, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, this is primarily a reference to legal situations. And I think the clearest case of this that we see in the Bible is when Jesus, right, when he's before the rulers and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, right, what does it say happened to him? It said that people came and they lied about him. It said that people said that he was going to do, he said things that he actually didn't say. Or they misrepresented something that he said in that legal context. So bearing false witness does touch on lying in general, right? But there's a, that deeper aspect of legality to it, and this is important for them back then because back then you, you've heard the expression, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, correct? Okay, good, Janetta, Sean, thank you, I appreciate it. Good. So the the way it worked was right if if something you did cause the physical harm of somebody else it would be the same thing would happen to you and the reason why they they worked things that way is because it mitigated revenge it mitigated retribution and it kept people from rising up and fighting against one another but why this not bearing false witness is so important is because if you were a false witness particularly like in a capital case where the punishment could be death if you bore a false witness against someone and it was shown that you, were the, that you lied about them in court, guess what would happen to you? The capital punishment that was supposed to happen to them falls on you. That's what's going on here in, primarily in this text. You shall not bear false witness. But we can also say that this also speaks to lying and untruths. And lying destroys relationships as it erodes trust And like a mountain that's lost its trees, it's got to be washed away the next time it rains really hard. And this is true for relationships with our spouses as well as our friends and our neighbors. And sometimes telling half-truths might seem like a really good thing. Not giving somebody all the information might not seem to be a good thing but it's probably not the good th- a right thing to do or a good thing to do. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse and then only told them kind of part of the story, hoping that they won't get mad and then realize there's much more to the story later on? I've done that. And you're all laughing, I know you have too, right? If we could only learn just to tell everything that happened right away from the very beginning, we would save ourselves a lot of trouble. It's a lesson that we all have to learn over and over again over and over again but this this not lying and this bearing false witness we even see this reflected in our own society and I was going to use some concrete examples but I figured if I did people would focus so much on the people involved that they would miss the point entirely so I'm not going to but what I will say is Twitter and social media make this problem even worse And conversation online is just getting worse and worse and worse as people misrepresent things others have said over and over and over again. And public distrust grows and grows and grows until we're all so mad at each other, violence flares. And finally, the last one, and all of you are like, finally. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You not shall covet your, not covet your neighbor's wife, or his servants, or his female servant, or his male servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So this one sort of sums up everything, right? Covetousness. If you're not, if you don't covet what's not yours, you're not going to try to commit adultery. If you don't covet, you're not going to try and, and steal something. If you are not covetousness, not covetous, you're not going to bear false witness to get something that you want. And if you have a home, be happy with it. Are you married? Don't wish you had somebody else's spouse. Have a have a a car that gets you where you need to go in good condition? Don't covet somebody who has a nicer one. Because let's be honest, the more expensive ones, they break down a lot more than the cheaper ones. And that's true. That's true. A friend of mine had a BMW and I remember he had to rebuild his whole engine himself in the garage because it was so expensive trying to fix a small problem. He did. He had to do the whole thing himself. St. Paul says in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And we like that, Philippians 4.13. We put that on our shorts and our coffee mugs. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's great. That's not what that's talking about. So if you see a a Christian athlete or something with Philippians 4.13, it's great that he's got a Bible verse, but that's not what that means. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, he's talking about learning to be content in every circumstance and situation in life. To be content when he doesn't have enough. To be content when he does have enough. To be content when he's hungry. To be content when he's well fed. Because, as White notes, the human heart is capable of desiring a God who is infinite. Infinite can readily become a kind of perverse mirror of God willing a substitutive infinity that is not God. Which is why we need Christ to give us strength to be, to be content in every situation, keep us from covetousness. In other words, we as human beings desire an infinite God. But instead of turning towards the infinite God, we desire substitutes that draw us away. And that's what covetousness is, that, that strong desire for what is not rightfully ours pursued at the cost of everything else. So thank you all for staying with me today. We covered a lot of ground in the past two weeks. Uh, but we needed to give it its proper, its proper due. And so we see in these final six commandments. A way that we can order our exterior life. Once our interior life is placed in order. And we see that these commandments are holistic. They are meant as guides for us. In, in every area of our lives, right? God cares about our familiar relationships and friendships. God cares about our sexual lives. God cares how we treat one another as human beings. God cares about the inherent dignity we all possess being given time and space to flourish according to the pattern He has set for us. God cares about whether we live in order to find our place in His purposes. The Ten Commandments mean We want to summarize all of this stuff. That we're answerable to God. We are not our own. If we claim to be Christian, then we are to live as Christians. Not as pagans masquerading as Christians. The commandments mean the origin of the standards of our behavior ultimately have divine origin. The commandments mean that there is a reasonable expectation that we need to be obeyed. And when looking back at the Ten Commandments... We can even see something of Christ in them. Like where it says, honor your father and mother. We see Jesus doing that often in the Gospels. And in John 17, 4, Jesus says, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus, bring honor to his Father. You shall not murder, you shall not bear false witness. When given the chance to have a woman stoned for adultery, Jesus forgives her and sends her on her way. And in fact, Jesus himself allows himself to be murdered. And he allows charges to be brought against him unjustly, as well as suffering the injustice of that false witness and the penalty of that false witness. And the people who brought those false charges against Jesus, they got away with it. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus is the model of virtue and human chastity. Through his chastity, he sanctifies our own. He is the chaste bridegroom of the church. You shall not steal or covet. In the gospel, Jesus had a disciple who actually was a thief, who actually did steal. But Jesus himself models the virtues of not being attached to things, about being content in his circumstances. Matthew 8, 20, Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus did not desire anything to the detriment of his relationship with the Father. All this to say, Jesus walked in love. When we rightly love God, we can love ourselves. And when we rightly love God, we can love our neighbors. We can love our friends and family. And we will find that we will be following the Ten Commandments already because we're not lugging them around on stone tablets anymore. But they are engraved by the finger of God in our hearts. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Landsman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, landsman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion Stone UCC or our website, ZionstoneUCC.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you.